0: Do you know what nemesis means? A righteous infliction of retribution manifested by an appropriate agent. Personified in this case, by me.
1: If you read the Bible, Mark, you'd know that there won't be another thousand years. Right now we're in the last days as foretold in the book of Revelation. The last
0: days? You mean the uh, coming of the apocalypse, right? The rapture.
1: You only have to look at the signs. There are wars and rumors of wars.
0: Now, just so the the rest of us know how much time is left, when is the rapture supposed to hit exactly? Is it uh, midnight New Year's Eve?
1: That's right. Uh Now, is that midnight L.A. time or or Eastern Standard Time or what? I mean, what time zone has God in
0: anyway? I pray for you all.
2: A very, very old intro, back when this was called Coffee, Cigarettes, and Gnosis. Relevant for this show, as the topic is Zebok of Revelation. I sometimes miss those more innocent times. In those days, I just wanted to share with peeps in my internet social circles. I didn't even know who was listening or not. There was only my website with a crappy internet player and some files shared on MySpace. And then I realized humanity at large needed those Gnostic contraband truths. And here we are, at the end of the world in the age of Hermes. Are you saying this is the apocalypse? I'm saying this is an extermination. The background music is From Whom the Bell Tolls. ...from the Donnie Darko soundtrack. What a Gnostic film about physical and psychic apocalypses, my beloved true seekers. Takes me back even before the podcast started... ...to that summer of 2005 when I studied the Nag Hammadi library... ...read Vallis and took a lot of ayahuasca. That was my initiation into Gnosticism which later included my Abraxis experience and seeing UFOs storm Portuguese nighttime skies. But there was also watching Donnie Darko being transfixed to the movie theater scene with this music playing. When the Gnostic Savior character, sitting next to the Sleeping Sofia character while the Evil Dead plays on the screen, meets Frank the Rabbit the great symbol of going down into the underworlds of the subconscious. I knew right then I myself was going down a terrible and ecstatic rabbit hole that my life would be destroyed and rebuilt many times through a series of Armageddons wake up Tony
0: that is when the world will end Do you believe in time travel?
2: I knew too that Gnosis was a trinity of these lines from that scene, and they are. Why are you wearing that stupid man suit? Have you ever seen a portal? Burn it all to the ground. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. That's Gnosis in a nutshell. Are you ready to go down a terrible and ecstatic rabbit hole? Are you ready for physical and psychic apocalypses? The ending of your worlds to be released into a galaxy of possibility? Like Donnie Darko, are you ready to heal splintered universes and finally find out who you really are before being programmed by programmer hating angels? Are you ready to go through portals, burn your fake life to the ground in your stupid mansuit? Good. Then happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to Aeon Bite here at the virtual Alexandria, that state of mind where East meets West. Welcome to that dream of you, that distant ship smoke on the horizon.
0: Say goodbye to all of this, and hello to Oblivion.
2: We don't take prisoners, but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. Divided we stand, together we rise. We're writing our own gospel and living our own myth. And there is no limit to our independence and rebellion and curiosity. As Plotinus wrote, Being an individual is described as a rebellion against the infinite. All things are generated from the infinite and, when they are dissolved, are taken up again into the infinite. It is cosmic law which has ordered this. The generated beings pay penalty to each other for their injustice. The separate existence, maintained by individuals in the face of their divine origin, is seen as a transgression of cosmic laws. The souls have separated themselves from the divine world when they descended and went creating. The cause of this was their audacity of self-affirmation. By alienating themselves from their origin, they committed a transgression, and they must bear the penalty. But they are acquitted of guilt because cosmic law had ordered the descent for the benefit of their universe. The Divine does not reach out to us from a cosmic beyond. It breathes from within. Our souls are secret entities which nest inside our skin. God is us. Our rebellion knows no limits. But it's gonna be alright even if our worlds end. Because it's all a simulation and what lies beyond is ecstatic self-knowledge. And we'll get there if we're led by Mercury's laughter. What in God's holy name are you blathering about?
0: I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. And, And shit, man.
2: So welcome to the end of the world and welcome to a truly encompassing show on the book of Revelation. Bringing in all mythic, historical, Theological and mystical angles to the scripture that continues to grip both the imagination and testicles of mankind. There is a war going on between angels of light and dark over your soul, Dr. Lane.
0: What are you talking about? Four horses of the apocalypse. The other visions. No. They're not real. They're in here.
2: For this... We are joined by Alex Rivera, who will be discussing his new book, The Sun Lady Unveiled. This work is as deep and insightful as his last one, Baphomet, The Temple Mystery Unveiled, which Alex co-wrote with Tracy Twyman. The Sun Lady Unveiled is dedicated to Tracy, and that's so cool as she is sorely missed and eternally honored at the virtual alexandria and yes if you're wondering you'll see that sophia and her war against her son yaldibaldi is a cornerstone for john the elder's astrotheological drama but you knew this in your heart all along you knew she was there
0: i'm the
1: monster's mother
2: The Gnostics were certainly into many forms of apocalypses, as we've discussed before. The Sethians contended the end of the world already happened, as soon as this universe was accidentally created from the transgression of Akamoth and the fury of Samael. We are just the shards of divinity, floating in liquid ruins of bad dreams, trauma and loneliness. Clinging to the flotsam of distant memories of a wholeness we know we can attain if we unlock the secrets of the stars and go through the portals like Donnie Darko to distant past to face our pain and discover our potentials.
0: When the long night comes, return to the end of the beginning.
2: Kinda like what we must do in our meat-sack lives instead of believing in the granola New Age concept that the past doesn't matter or the future is all there is. The past matters because that's where the ark on store both all of our trauma and innocence. And the book says we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. Like the Gospel of Thomas says, the disciple said to Jesus, tell us how our end will be. Jesus said Have you discovered then The beginning That you look for the end For where the beginning is There will the end be Blessed is he who will take his place In the beginning He will know the end And will not experience death And as Pinocchio says Go to the beginning To get to the end Find out what is real To know the pretend And as T.S. Eliot wrote, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. By the power of truth, I, while living, have conquered the universe. Here we are, at the end of the world in the Age of Hermes, deciding we're going down that terrible and ecstatic rabbit hole to find answers. To find ourselves all the way to finding Sophia in her battle against the red dragon. And perhaps tell both of them, as well as our childhood selves, that it doesn't have to be this way. That we are fine and we are all amazing. We can start over. That our parents were just afraid and we no longer have to carry that fear and tell our past selves, and even Yaldi Baldi, that it's never too late to have a happy childhood.
1: And what if you could go back in time and take all those hours of pain and darkness and replace them with something better?
2: We all rebelled, and it's okay too. The Infinite forgave us, and the Demiurge and his mother were just scared too. It's okay, burn it down, because it was just all a simulation.
0: I want to live a real life. I don't want to dream any longer.
2: I promise that this year I will provide rituals and practices on Gnosis and all of this. It's time I provided some tangible exercises and magic rites. Stay tuned. In the meantime, let us do our interview with Alex Rivera.
0: And breathe a sigh of relief because there will be so much to look forward to.
2: This is the A.M. Bide interview, and with us, we definitely have the pleasure of being joined back again by Alex Rivera to discuss his new book, The Sun Lady Unveiled. How are you doing, Alex, and welcome back to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure,
1: it's been a great pleasure. You know, I've been on your show before. A few times, and I've always enjoyed it, so I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this again for my new book.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think the last time you were on was with uh, Tim Klassen, where we discussed the Queen of Heaven concept, and uh, this will definitely relate to it. Of course, you use uh, Tim and other great researchers and scholars for this book, and as we were talking before the interview. This is such an amazing book. It's rich. It's so full of great insights and scholarship. It's exactly what the Gnostic Christian, uh, (laughs) any community could really enjoy. So uh, thanks for writing this book, Alex.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, it all started uh, when I was uh, doing some research on uh, this uh, great celestial sign uh, that, supposedly happened back in 2017 or September 2017 with the, the Virgin uh, Zodiac sign. And there was a lot of hoopla back then uh, because people thought, you know, maybe uh, the rapture would occur on that date, September 23rd, 2017, or uh, that could be like a sign of uh, the imminent return of Jesus or something. So uh, I mean, (sighs) You know, the Book of Revelation has never, uh, never really appealed to me b- before that much. But until then, it was just kind of like in the in my peripheral vision, I guess. But when I was doing research on that, uh, that whole star sign, that's when the whole uh, Pandora's box was open, shall we say? <laughs> so.
2: yes and uh, at the beginning you're right this book sort of came to you it just flowed out of you you it wasn't one of those where you had to struggle to make it happen or fit things within that they didn't need to fit
1: no no it was just uh it just came to me it was like kind of like a like a a download like you know i just downloaded some software from some ethereal cloud I guess <laughs> somewhere uh, but it's kind of weird uh, but you know uh, it was actually what I remember it was actually Tracy Twyman whom we all know uh, who passed away last year tragically but uh, she was the one who actually encouraged me to write the book actually um, so that kind of gave me like the uh, stamina and the, I guess the courage to write it and, you know, I was making some posts on my website on theani.com about, uh, this, uh, symbol and, uh, the woman clothed with the sun from Revelation chapter 12. And that's when things started going or, or, or everything started to click, I guess, for me, for that, uh, with that specific, uh, figure. And she's very much, uh, very important in, not only in the uh, the Book of Revelation obviously, but also in the Old Testament as well. And you know, but she's also connects to other figures throughout world religion, as we'll get into, I'm sure, soon here. Right. Uh, yeah, so I mean, obviously with the uh with the Queen of Heaven motif of our Shara being Yahweh's wife or uh you know the Mary the Mother Mary or Theotokos of uh Eastern Orthodoxy and Catholicism. Um I mean, but you know, and of course in in those religions, uh she's very much like a goddess figure, you know. Uh, which comes from that whole uh idea of the Queen of Heaven, which uh eventually comes from Ishtar of uh, ancient Babylon. But and of course, you know, Sophia Ackmoth, she also has connections there as well. She's also called the Queen of Heaven. And also at the same time, she's also called the lewd one, right? Or Prunikos, or the harlot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've both
2: read Tobias' great book on it, The Gnostic Mysteries
1: of Sex. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. I mean, that movie. <laughs> I love that book. <laughs> it should be a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite a movie, <laughs> that would be, huh?
2: well we definitely want to unpack this all i love it of course how you mentioned tracy you dedicate the book to tracy as long as we don't forget those who have passed they will live and her work needs to be supported and brought up even though it stands on its own it's eternal what was uh tracy's reasons for you uh writing this book
1: well, I mean, she didn't really give many specific reasons, but I would imagine, though, it was more like a continuation of her research and my research from the Baphomet book that we collaborated on uh, maybe five years ago or so. Uh, so, I mean, I would say that maybe that this book is sort of like a spiritual sequel to that book, even though it's not really about Baphomet. At all, really, but it is more about this uh, woman clothed the sun figure, or the sun lady. But a lot of the themes that's explored in that book, uh, the Baphomet Temple Mister Unveiled, is also sort of continues on with this book as well. So, I, I I put a little bit of connections there just between those two books. So, and uh, and I get into a lot of the ideas that was also. Uh, somewhat explored in that book as well. So there's some connections there. Uh, and, and I get into, you know, the occult as well, which, you know, Baphomet is obviously, uh, very much connected to. Uh, and especially in the last chapter of my book, but, uh, I'll make a little bit of spoilers here, here and there, but yeah, I get into, uh, the rise of the beast and the mark of the beast and that sort of stuff and the connected to the occult and how uh the beast also connects to uh saturn as well and i, I really haven't seen anyone really make that connection too much but uh, i make that connection quite a bit in in, in uh, the in la- the last chapter but i don't want to get too ahead of myself here but uh but i i'm, I'm thinking though that the themes that were expressed in that book continues on, uh, with this book as well. But, but really with this book, instead of emphasizing or putting emphasis on, you know, a specific incarnation of the devil, which that book, you know, Baphomet r- really is, uh, you know, I'm more focused on something what's more holy, <laughs> shall we say?
2: <laughs> yes. And <laughs> even at the end, you have a beautiful inspirational message. So, uh, you but but of course you bring it all in all the different versions of evil and good and everything else and nonfiction spoilers are great cuz people will be going well how can he say that no way but you back this all up so but what i like to do is um just read that section on revelation 12 so the audience has a perspective plus i know a lot of people when they listen to podcasts they're walking or they're driving So they'll be able to understand it. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read it here. I have it on my notes. Uh, Revelation chapter 12. Here it goes. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will, quote, rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared to her by her God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And then after that, there's the infamous or famous passage of the angel Michael fighting Satan, casting him down to the earth. So that's the passage for the audience. So you get a little bit of perspective. I'm sure ex-fundamentalists could probably recite this in their, in their sleep, but for everybody else, uh, Let's unpack that. Alex, first why don't we start with the traditional story or version is that the woman is Mary, the child is Jesus, the woman could be the church. I mean, uh, how do you see these? These things these are faulty uh expressions or faulty translations of what's going on in Revelation chapter twelve?
1: Sure. So the woman clothed the sun, let's start with her first. Uh so yeah, I mean I wouldn't say that's a faulty uh interpretation of her. I mean I mean the imagery pretty much begs you to make that connection. You know? Yeah, exactly. Compared so, to the
2: rest of the Bible, yeah, you're like, "Oh." Right.
1: Right. So, I mean that's I mean that's obviously there the, with the Mary and uh the royal child and uh, and you know with the Madonna child cult, uh that that's been all over the world, you know like all the world religions are dedicated to that symbol uh, that uh, the woman and the child so and and you find that also in other traditions like in ancient Babylon you, you find that in Egypt, you find that uh, with you know tammuz and Adonis and that sort of sort of thing and then uh and then you also find that in also in other more esoteric traditions of, uh, Catholicism, right? You have like the black Madonna and the child, or you also have like the black, uh, the black Jesus, Oh, Cristo Negro or something like that. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, but then there's also, uh, a, a much more deeper component to all that as well. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of the church fathers and a lot of church, uh, orthodox writers have compared, uh, that figure, the woman clothed the son with the church and Mary, and also, uh, the male child with, uh, the church as well. So they're, so they're both representative of the church, uh, the bride of Christ, right? Uh, but at the same time, there's a much bigger or broader, uh, Perspective on her as well So I mean That connects to Obviously Gnosticism uh, Where you have Sophia Akmoth. She's also Considered to be uh, Sort of like The Theotokos as well She's also the uh, The mother of God So but Except in that case She gives birth to Demiurge You know So there's a, (laughs) but not really.
2: In your book, you do say uh, there is a Valentinian myth where doesn't Sophia give birth to Christ?
1: Yes, yes, there is. In fact, I think it was Irenaeus. He actually says that uh, Christ, or the logos and the Demiurge, are actually brothers, which I find that pretty fascinating. And when you think about it, I mean, it kind of makes sense because, you know, both Christ is uh, portrayed as a serpent, right, in the Gospel of John, you know, the ascending, the bronze serpent that connects to numbers. Oh, yeah. All right. And then then you have the demiurge, who's also uh, depicted as a serpent, the lion headed serpent. So we have all these different uh, powers and principalities that. That can incarnate into human form, but they're also serpents. So they're, they're, so it's like you're raising your own serpent against the other serpents, you know? So against the, uh, the demons and, and their curses that bring, that they bring along with them, but you raise the serpent against them, or, which is, of course, Christ. So, and then, uh, then mentions about this rod of iron, right? or the this figure that's going to rule over the nations, or is prophesied to rule over the nations. And that connects to uh, Psalms 2, uh, where it talks about uh, the one, or the anointed one being uh, sent by God to rule over the nations as well. So like it talks about how uh, the rulers, or the kings of the earth, uh, gather together to... Uh, basically cut themselves or making some sort of conspiracy against uh god i suppose and you kind of see kind of you kind of see that happening now but uh but basically uh god you know basically says well you know i don't care it's like you, you can do whatever you want but he just kind of it's like he, he just kind of like <laughs> la- right right he kind of laughs at them what they're doing and then he just Tells him, you know, if you don't kiss my son, then you're going to be destroyed, you know. <laughs> 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 so, but he, but but in that uh, chapter, it talks about him ruling or the son, the anointed one uh, ruling over the nations of the rod of iron. And that also connects to, I think, the bronze serpent uh, in Numbers as well. So there's a lot of different connections that connect to other verses of the Bible in the book of Revelation. Um, and then, uh, let's see here. And then you mentioned, uh, Michael, right? In Satan.
2: Yeah. In the next passage, that's a famous one where Michael comes and kicks Satan's ass.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> right. So, and of course, uh, Michael, uh, which is, it's, it's a pretty interesting, uh, thing here. So when you look at like Gnostic mythology or Gnostic Ophite mythology, they actually uh, thought that Michael was actually uh, an incarnation of the Demiurge, which I found that pretty fascinating. Uh, I didn't even know that until I was actually researching uh, this figure of Michael. And, uh, yeah, I'm getting to spoilers here, but you know, well, that's okay. <laughs> There's so much in your book. <laughs> yeah, and then and then, you know, but also the Ophites uh, Gnostics, which were, uh, I guess, the original Gnostic sect, I suppose uh but they they thought that michael and samaya were basically these two specific incarnations of the demiurge uh so i mean they didn't really think too highly of michael necessarily but uh but they also uh michael has also uh different connections with mithras as well which is another persian Roman deity that we find in the ancient world, which many compare to uh Jesus, of course, but I mean, but there's also a strong connection between Michael and Mithras as well. Uh I mean they're both considered like warrior gods, right? Uh heavenly uh intermediaries that fight against the powers of darkness, and of course Satan represents that. Uh now we also find a connection between that with uh you know michael fighting satan in the Ch- book of luke with the gospel of luke where uh, jesus had kind of the same vision uh, where it talks about how these 70 disciples returned from the mission of uh, evangelism and uh casting out demons from people and then uh and then jesus tells them that uh that he saw satan Fall like lightning from heaven. So then he you know, tells him that that he gives him authority to to tread upon you know serpents and scorpions and such, and the power of the enemy. But uh, uh but also I make this uh, connection in the book about the number seventy, right? Uh, and uh, it's a very significant number that there was basically in the Old Testament these seventy sons of God or the 70 angels that ruled over the world. And I can, well, there, a lot of people can make this connection but I but I put in my research that these 70 angels represent these, uh, basically the, the, the Gentile rulers that rule over the different nations and that, um, these, uh, Elohim angels, they pretty much, uh, threw the pooch as it were with the rulership. So they're basically, <laughs> yeah. you know, they're, uh persecuting everybody <laughs> the sheep you know the people are, are basically sh- the sheeple you know right you know how conspiracy theories they call normies you know <laughs> right <laughs> but uh but uh but basically uh in the first temple that they they're we well, we'll get to this here in a moment but basically that they are they represent uh the great dragon basically that these 70 sons of god are cast out just 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 like uh satan basically that they're all belong to the same serpent angelic race and you know what's interesting about that is that you know the seraphim in the bible they're they're called like these fiery beasts they're fiery angels but they're also have a reptilian uh shape to them as well so or serpent uh connection there so it's like we're dealing with a whole family of serpents basically so uh such right if you consider jesus was also a serpent as well right so, yeah. you know i mean there's also of course the, the lion the lamb symbolism as well but i mean but the serpent stuff i think is also pretty interesting so you have uh these uh dueling serpents as it were going on here so so what we have is the lady, the sun lady is sort of
2: a, a sophianic figure, the architect, another archetypal image of the goddess and the red dragon is sort of the, the, I guess the evil, the, the demiurgic forces of this cosmos. I think you write how the Ophites said that the universe was surrounded by a giant dragon and it was the great enemy of all that was good.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So I get into that. Um, now uh this great dragon that surrounds the world or the the, or the cosmos uh can be conflated with leviathan of uh the old testament with uh, where yahweh basically uh, chops up this uh great sea serpent into uh Sushi, I guess, and feeds the <laughs> feeds the uh, the the remnant, I guess, in the, the Bible. So, or the or the end of the days, he feeds. Which is really interesting. I found, there's the website actually says that uh, the Leviathan is actually fed to the damned at the end of the days, which is kind really? of really whoa. Yeah, yeah, I actually wrote about that in my article called "The Sun Lady Tales." And that's sort of like a companion piece, uh, to, uh, my article, or I'm sorry, my book rather. So, yeah, I found that pretty interesting. Uh, you can check it out on my website, uh, with that. But, but anyway, going back to, uh, Leviathan. So he's also, well, this creature is basically like a, like a giant another serpent right another dragon but he's also kind of like a worm as well and there's a lot there's a lot of uh references to uh worms in the bible like you know the where this is worm where the worm dieth not in hell uh and then uh and then uh also when we look at church father writings when they uh, describe the beliefs of different Gnostic sects, but they talk about how this great dragon that rules over the world well, there's actually more than one Gnostic sect I believe this. There's actually many who believe this, but uh I think it was both uh, Epiphanius and uh, Hippolytus that report this in their uh, writings, but I mean, first we can start with uh, Epiphanius. So he says that that there is an archon who holds this world captive in a shape like the uroboros and i'll just read it uh straight up from yeah him. please do awesome yeah so he says that the ruler who restrains this world has a form of a snake and it swells the souls that do not exist in a state of acquaintance returns into the world through its tail and then into swine and other living things, and brings them up again through the same rulers. And then uh, there's another translation that says that uh, the Archon who holds his world captive it is shaped like a dragon. He swallows the souls that are not in the know, and returns them to the world through his phallus, so, you know, his penis, uh, here to be implanted in pigs and other animals. Oh my god. <laughs> and brought up again through them, so... Yeah. Then he also says that um that this form of knowledge, this gnosis, uh, is uh compared to one's eating one's emissions that belongs to pleasure and lust, you know, like you know, sperm and menses and such, right. like they all were obsessed with, you know, with trying to make <laughs> them do like a sex crazy cannibal cult or whatever. But uh <laughs> but uh but 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 again, it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, it does connect to this great dragon that deceives the world, right? Uh, ke- that keeps the world enslaved, the, the ruler of this aeon, you know?
2: Yeah. They do not have a good a view of the Ouroboros, unlike uh, the alchemists and other groups. <laughs> and a yeah. great symbol of being trapped in karma, simple as that.
1: Right. And it does, it does make sense. I mean, that passage because I mean, what, what is the oral boers really doing here? You know, he's basically, you know, I'm i not, I guess I'll get R-rated here, but you know, basically it's sucking itself off, you know? Right. Exactly.
2: Like the myth of a tomb, the Egyptian right. myth of a tomb, which <laughs> influenced the Gnostics
1: and later on. Right. So basically uh, we're basically, uh, well, I mean, this is a perfect segue to discuss how I th- I think, what this is, what this is really telling us is that uh, that the end is swallowed by the beginning. So the book of Revelation, in my opinion, connects right back to Genesis. So there's this is repeating eternal cycle that occurs, and we're basically uh, everyone's basically trapped inside this eternal cycle. <laughs> I don't think there's really a way out to get uh, really.
2: Yeah, those uh, ancient Gnostics, they were like a mixture of uh, Lovecraft, very, almost nihilistic. And yeah, there's uh, the scene in the Gospel of Thomas where Jesus, how will you know the end? Well, you just got to go back to the beginning. So Jesus is definitely saying, yes, we're sort of trapped in this cycle.
1: Right, right. But uh, I think uh, when you look at, you know, at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, this cubical city that descends from the heavens kind of like Saturn's cube, basically. But um, basically this box that contains all these samples of reality uh, is basically saved. And it's within this uh, cubicle city is where the new universe uh, begins, I guess. Because there's also the the tree of life as well. And God sits on his throne with all these different magical... Stones beneath his throne, and of course, those are the lamb and the angels and the saints—they're all in within this cubical city, and that's basically the the new universe that uh, starts and restarts the whole process again, right? And everything outside this cubical city becomes the lake of fire, you know. So everything becomes chaos outside of this cubical city. So, so again, the end is swallowed by the beginning. Um and you know when Jesus uh talks about uh, being born again uh I think he uh can, in my opinion it, it sounds like he, he's talking about no longer being detained in this world as rising above the rulers and avoid being uh inc- incarcerated incarnate back into the world through the uh the snake the dragon archons penis basically <laughs> <laughs> <To> avoid that <laughs>
2: oh, naughty naughty Gnostics in ancient times some of these guys were <laughs> too much time in their hands maybe they're in quarantine writing this stuff
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're on house arrest yeah yeah
2: <laughs> well according to the myth we all under house arrest in this cosmic drama and uh, and what I like too is um, you you And this, it reminds me of the same argument that Lynn Picknett and Clive Prince make in their latest book, When God Had a Wife, that there was this movement and like uh, some of the ancient Gnostics, some of the early Christians, that they were actually trying to restore the first temple religion and spirituality with uh, the goddess and more organic, holistic sort of spirituality. Isn't that what you you see too in the Book of Revelation? Some of these movements.
1: Yes, yes, and I did actually listen to that interview. Um, I thought it was really good, and it's just interesting that they actually published that book. I think it was I think it's called "Did God Have a Wife?" or something. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they make that point that you know there was this Hebrew goddess that in that first temple mystery tradition and you know i definitely agree with them uh i mean the sun lady herself has a lot of connections with that i mean i don't know if they make that connection explicitly in in their book but maybe but uh but at least in mine um
2: no they don't deal with the book of revelation at all just with simon magus and jesus and john the baptist before
1: oh okay yeah yeah um yeah, I make that some of those connections as well in, in the book, although I don't really uh, put a lot of emphasis in Simon uh, Magus. But um, but in in that book, well, I'm mean, sorry, in my book, basically, yeah, that there is was this uh, first temple tradition in that they did worship the Queen of Heaven in the, and this was actually in the uh, the Temple of Solomon, and uh, of course the Temple of Solomon. Has a lot of connections with, uh, the occult and, uh, Freemasonry, of course, and, uh, the grimoire tradition as well. Uh, well, you know, the Lesser Key of Solomon, et cetera. But, but yeah, I mean, the, she, the Queen of Heaven is, uh, very much a part of the first temple tradition. But, um, but when we look in history, it talks about how uh, there is this uh, king, Josiah, that came to power. And it was under his rulership that uh, uh, this Queen of Heaven, or Shara, or Sarte, uh, was removed from any semblance of worship, or semblance of worship, let's just say. Um, So and this happened, I think, right under the the second temple or right before the Second Temple, this is where uh, uh, the Jews were in captivity in ancient Babylon. That's when things started moving towards that direction. And then they, for some reason or another, they decided to get rid of uh, the Sun Lady, which is interesting, uh, because even in like in in ancient Babylon, they they have a figure that's very much similar to their Asherah, the Queen of Heaven, which is of course Ishtar. And she's the also the queen of heaven and also considered the harlot as well, much like Sophia. Right, yes. So, yeah, I mean, and then in the Babylonian myths, you have this uh, uh, theme of descending into the underworld with Ishtar, the descent of Ishtar. And then you have the whole descent of Sophia into matter as well. So there's a lot of connections there, which I make a lot of, I write about, but yeah, I mean, I definitely would agree with, uh, Clyde and, uh, pigment I mean, am I getting correct? Am, am I getting
2: it correctly? Clive Prince and Lynn Pigment. That's Lynn it. Lynn Picknett. Oh, yes. that's right. Okay, mm-hmm.
1: right. So yeah, so bad with names, but yeah, so I would yeah, definitely agree with that. So now in the book of Revelation, it talks about, uh, this ark, right? Uh, and talks about the holy of holies. Now, this now in the first temple, I, talk, I think this was around around 600 BCE when the temple purchase started happening by the time of King Josiah. Now, uh, with the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and the scattering of the people, uh, this was basically this first uh, instance of the destruction of uh, the, the worship of the Sun Lady. And I think, in, it was, I think it was. I think it's in Jeremiah that says that, uh, like anybody who, uh, the people who basically who were, were were not worshiping the Queen of Heaven were basically destroyed. Like I think it, it explicitly makes that connection. So, and and even in Psalms, or sorry, not Proverbs, Robert, rather, rather, uh, it talks about wisdom. You know, telling people, if you don't listen to me, you're going to be destroyed, you know? So, I mean, it says, uh, even calls people uh, that if they don't worship or listen to her counsel, Wisdom's counsel, that she's going to laugh at you when you're in calamity, you know? So it's a very stark uh, warning, I guess, to people. So yeah there's a lot of connections there and of course in proverbs it talks about uh this uh wisdom figure that builds herself seven pillars right in heaven right and then uh and then i make that connection the book with uh the holy spirit it also has seven uh aspects to it as well and the holy spirit uh i really found this interesting that uh the Holy Spirit was actually considered to be the mother of uh, of Christ in a lot of uh, different uh, sources. So it wasn't exactly male, originally male, it was actually feminine. And, but more interestingly, I make a connection between the Holy Spirit and Barbello. So it's not, I mean, you, I guess you could make a connection between Sophia and uh, the Holy Spirit. I mean, there's obviously a connection there, but, uh but it's but with Barbello she's also considered like this divine emanation of it like the first the first man, right? The first god, the first Aeon. Right. And so she's like uh, the one that gives birth to the pleroma, as it were. In Gnosticism. Um Now, getting back to.
2: Hold on. It should be said. Yes. You make a good argument. Well, we're speaking of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the gospel of the Hebrew said the Holy Spirit was female. The gospel of Philip says, uh, Mary couldn't be impregnated by the Holy Spirit because a woman cannot be, cannot ever conceive another woman by another woman. So you make a good argument that this was sort of, uh, this, uh, this divine feminine, the paracletos, perhaps.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I also point out that there's actually two uh, Paracletos. There's you know the mother Paracletos, and then there's Jesus as well, who's also called the uh, Paraclete, right? So they, there's so the so basically, Jesus is basically the uh, the the child, the offspring of wisdom, and in Luke it talks about how her children are justified by wisdom. So. Uh, and you know, the description of of this Queen of Heaven, the Book of Revelation, chapter twelve, uh sounds also very similar to the description of the Queen of Heaven that was worshipped in the first temple. Because the Royal of Seal of Jerusalem had a winged son, and that the lady was represented as the winged son at neighboring I think it was U- Ugarit, I think, but uh she uh Basically, she was also protecting, had a protecting presence over the king, or the Melchizedek, as it were. So, and her fit, and she also had a symbol of the eight pointed star, which is enclosed by enclosed by the winged sun. So, and of course, that winged sun symbolism uh, can be traced back to ancient Egypt as well, and probably Samaria, I would imagine. But, um, but going back to you know what we were saying about the first temple. Uh, So yeah, I mean, there's this queen of heaven figure that they were, they worshiped her with incense and wine and bread baked to represent her. And this is back in, I think in Jeremiah. Uh, But then the lady, the sun lady was worshiped by uh, many figures. So I think I'm, here's what I'm thinking. I think the sun lady has different incarnations or different masks that exists in other different various cultures so i'm thinking she's basically one the same with all of them and what's even weirder is that we look at the horror babylon she's also connects to ishtar right and uh, lilith as well so it's like maybe uh the horror babylon could be seen as like uh the shadow or the dark twin of uh, the sun lady if you, if you want to go that That far, but, uh, but of course, you know, she's destroyed by God (laughs) in (laughs) in Revelation, so I don't know. (laughs) But I mean, basically, I would say that the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 12 is basically this restoration of, uh, of the lady that was worshipped in the first temple. Yeah. So kind of goes back to that
2: yeah I think it's a it's a very good case you make, and the child can we see it as more than one interpretation or have different symbolism? He could be Jesus, he could be the spirit, or what do you think Alex
1: yeah yeah so I get into that in the book so uh he's so the child obviously connects to the Madonna child cult so of these different various cultures around the world uh and what's interesting is that uh even if you look at like paganness, right, like people connect uh Melchizedek with Jupiter, and there's a lot of strong connections with that, but I'm thinking like the male child represents the not only the spirit, yeah like the like, because in ancient Gnosticism or really and not just Gnosticism, just like in ancient Christianity, really. Uh they thought that uh spirit was uh analogous to being male, right? And then and that our human bodily selves are basically female in a in a way. So uh all our human fragile natures are basically female because we're because female was considered fallen, I guess. And uh, male was considered uh spiritual. So so Jesus is considered like a spiritually male. I and mean, you see you see that idea in the Gospel of uh, Thomas. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but the child can be seen in so many different ways. Like you, you see it in the church, you can see it as Jesus, you can see it as spirit, you can see it as Melchizedek. And, and of course, in the book, I do uh, make that connection that I'm thinking that the sun lady was also the queen or the, the mother of Melchizedek as well. And of course, well, deck is a very complex figure, which I discovered. Uh, and, and you find that in various different uh, literature, uh, of course, the, the Old Testament, of course, but also in other writings like the Piso Sophia. Another uh Gnostic text, like Melchizedek, <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, most people just think of makes an appearance in the Old Testament, gives Abraham some vino, and then he's right. mentioned in some parts of the New Testament, but yeah he was all over the place, and I think you write uh, very well that he's basically the priest of the pleroma,
1: yeah, yeah, so I think it was that there's this one text that is called Melchizedek, where it says that uh, he's like the the king of the Gnostic race, I guess if you want to put it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it literally says that. And that, uh, uh, the, the elect, the Gnostic elect are basically are under the rulership of Nolchizedek. And, uh, and I get into a lot of these different heresies that were espoused by people like, uh, Theodotus, uh, and other, other guys, uh, but they basically thought that Melchizedek was, like, uh greater than Christ, which is kind of crazy. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, the idea that John the Baptist was, like, you know, the true prophet and Jesus was, like, you know, the pretender or a false prophet, you know, like in, in Mandean religion. So it kind of follows that idea. But, I mean, I don't really agree with it, but, you know, that's what some people believe.
2: It was in the air. They were speculating on everything those days.
1: Right, right. Everything was just like... On the table. <laughs> <laughs> everything was on the, the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything was questioned and, and, and debated. So, yeah. Very, very, very interesting. And uh, I think the Pista, the Pista Sophia talks about how Melchizedek was like... Uh, a fi- I think it's called the Paralemptor, which you know, is, is a, a title which I don't think... No other text uses that, that word, paralymptor, from what I've seen. Oh, interesting. The, the Piscesophiel is the only one that mentions it, but it says, but paralymptor means the one who receives. So basically, uh, in that text, uh, Jesus makes this, uh, really long, uh, revelation to his disciples after he, uh, res- resurrects. And he gives all these, this, this long mystery revelation about what happens after you die, right? So there's these different heavens, basically, that correspond to Gnostic mythology. There's different seas or different, uh, copies of the Pleroma. And they're all ruled by these different archons. But, uh, but in that text talks about how Jesus was, uh, was sent from the Pleroma to disturb Uh, the signs and the magic of the demonic archons and uh to also uh bring the powers of melchizedek to the earth which is kind of interesting so he so jesus in that text actually puts a lot of emphasis on melchizedek interestingly enough um even though melchizedek just i think just this is really a title uh It's like a kingly title, and Solomon was also a a Melchizedek. But in this instance, he's like, he's the heavenly Melchizedek. Just like there's a heavenly Torah, right? Right. There's just heavenly serpents, so there's all these different heavenly versions of what happens on Earth, you know, on Earth as it is in Heaven, right? Uh, But but Melchizedek can also be equated with Jupiter as well, and I get into that in the book. Uh, But if you also think about it, Melchizedek is also like uh the first grail king. So like you know how in the holy grail they talk about how the the cup uh is basically this golden cup represents, you know, the the holy grail, right? Uh but really the holy grail s- symbolism I think comes from Melchizedek and the Eucharist. So and you know even like, you know uh, in Catholicism, the you know, the the priest is basically, or Catholic priests, they're, they're basically act as shamans, you know, because they have the uh, apostolic mojo to turn bread and water, bread and oh, wine, right. the, bo- <laughs> the body and blood of Christ, right? And uh, and the Pope is also worshipped as like a human demigod, you know, like Caesar, or Hercules, in Catholicism. So, uh, but. But anyway, getting back to the Holy Grail stuff, I think that's really where that Holy Grail idea comes from, from this this from Jesus deck, because he's originally the one who uh, gives the Eucharist to, I think it was Abram. And then he becomes Abraham after the war with uh, some other, I forgot his name, but uh, it's there. (laughs) It's all in my book. Uh, And then, uh, but yeah, I mean... (sighs) I mean all these symbols is very multifaceted you know there's not just this one thing like they're not just one uh, uh one object or one uh verb or one name i mean i mean they're, they're all they're everything really it's just like i mean it, it just draws from all these different ideas and i think makes it more uh palpable to uh people to worshippers so i mean that's which is why you know uh the Bible and the Book of Revelation has been, you know, has continued for so long, you know, to be a source of inspiration for a lot of people. So, yes, agreed. I
2: mean, it's like you were just saying, it's not as easy as saying serpent bad. No, a serpent. It's so multifaceted. It takes you down to, takes you down a labyrinth it's around the Ouroboros almost. And one symbolism we want to get into, Alex, and this is fascinating and we might get into more r-rated or x-rated stuff but in revelation 12 the woman gives birth to the child in the cosmos in some cosmic dimension and you very well say that this disqualifies her as mary because in the orthodox greek orthodox tradition mary didn't have uh, pangs and pain when she gave birth to jesus and this woman does it's very painful and then you tie it in very well with this concept of the the universe and the dark womb. Could you tell the audience about the, the dark womb or the womb in the sky or the cosmos?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. So I found that there's a lot of different uh, groups that talk about this idea. Uh, you can find this, again, with the Church Fathers and how they uh, describe different Gnostic groups that connected uh this cosmic womb with the demiurge and i think it was uh irenaeus who talks about this and the behind i think but uh he says that uh the canaanites i mean i mean who knows if they really existed or not but maybe they did
2: allegedly wrote the gospel of judas or some version of the gospel of judas
1: Right, right. Yeah, they, they, those guys. But but they basically were into uh, sex magic, it seems like, or Solomonic magic. And they were trying to uh, bring down the heavens. And this is very much like uh, the ideas that's, that's expressed by uh, Tracy Twyman. And she writes about this quite a bit in her work, in her research with uh, – this figure called Meat, M E T E and uh, Meat is basically like, uh, Sophia Cybell Isis and Ishtar are all rolled into one. And she's the one that brings down the chains of the archons and the heavens where it's kind of like the idea of, you know, uh, heaven and hell, the marriage of heaven and hell, right. From William Blake. But, um, basically, uh causing the apocalypse the or, or Armageddon but uh but I but I make that connection with these groups that they that maybe perhaps that they were uh I think it was a Carpocrat uh yeah Carpocrates actually uh talked about this as well, but they were they were said to engage in all kinds of uh sex rituals and right. Solomonic rituals to uh, undermine uh, the laws of nature. And they called uh something they called the, this womb hystera, which is the creator of heaven and earth, according to them. So they thought that uh that you couldn't be saved until you've gone through all these different uh experiences and sex rituals. <laughs> uh so and then they thought that uh that they would basically invoke different angels, which sounds like Solomonic magic right there, uh, that they would basically uh invoke them to storm the heavens somehow. It's kinda of weird. Um, and then uh, Epiphanius talks about also this as well, where you know they say is that you know they wrote the gospel of Judas. And, uh, they would make certain forge works, certain works against the womb, and that the womb was like the maker of the vault of heaven. And, uh, and again, that they would make all these different wicked obscenities and against this womb. But interestingly enough, this cosmic womb can also be traced in other Gnostic writings, like, uh, I think there's one called, the paraphrase of Shem right. from them. Yeah. 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 And, uh, there's a writer or an author. Well, he's a academic scholar, but his name is Dylan Burns. I think you had him on, on
2: your show. Yes. It's a great book. The, the apocalypse of the alien God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good book. Yeah. But, but he was saying that, um, uh, that the womb, uh, is you know, obviously connects to generation and matter and of course even the word matrix connects to the word womb or mother, right? And uh and that there were basically these Gnostic groups were trying to dissolve the works of the womb. And I think it's in yeah, the parasit phrase of Shem where it talks about how the womb is equally the one and the same with the malevolent demiurge. And I think, uh, in that text talks about how the womb produces, uh, the world as a reaction of, uh, this, uh, heavenly fear called Der, derdecius or something like that.
2: Right. Yeah. I have it was it? Yeah. Derdick. Yeah. Whatever the pronunciation, something like that.
1: <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> uh, but he, uh, tries to recover the divine light that is, uh, possessed by, uh, darkness in the womb. And uh, he performs his recovery by delving into the darkness while wearing this robe of fire that results from this emission from the light. Yeah, it sounds kind of crazy, but uh, he... Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, you told me that's a text also where demons are having sex with people. It's pretty wicked. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a crazy, crazy <laughs> effect. I can't believe... No one really talks about that. Never, text, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. but it's like, it's so, like, Nuts.
2: Yeah, very
1: Lovecraftian even. <laughs> yeah, even talks about how like uh that that there was like a this unclean penis that was with the demons uh in the darkness and is having sex was rubbing the womb from the beginning. So basically that the entire manifest universe is described as a giant vagina being tickled by an unclean demonic penis. So there you go.
2: <laughs> oh my god. So this idea, basically, of the womb, it must have—it's—it's it's more or less present in the Book of Revelations, a cosmic being giving birth again in some other yeah. upper dimension.
1: Sure. So yeah, I mean, even like in the Bible it talks about birth pangs and giving birth quite a bit, especially in the Book of Revelation. But I mean, again, yeah, I mean, I did write that Mary, uh, she doesn't really have birth pangs because she you know, she's the virgin, right? The virgin queen in heaven. And I think it was in the proto Evangelian Gospel of James where it talks about how she was like a temple virgin. And you find that in paganism as well. Yes, but, you mentioned that in your book. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I, and, you know, I actually got this from my research into uh, orthodoxy, actually. I was just... Uh, for a time, I was actually even... Uh, con- convert, considering converting to Eastern Orthodoxy, but during that time, I was in my investigation, I found that a uh, little tidbit, so I thought that was pretty interesting, so like, well, well, what the heck, I'll just put that in my book, too. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, I mean, uh, that cosmic womb idea, though, I mean, connects with uh, Babylon, and uh, Babylon also has a womb. I mean, Really, she Babylon means gateway, you know, or the gate of God or the gateway of the gods. Oh, and, uh, yeah. you know, so and then so she's like kind of like gateway from another higher dimension. So all these different gods are like incarnating it, incarnating uh, somehow into this world. So like even in like, you know, in the OTO, like they they worship Babylon, right? and uh, chaos and right, the concert so, of Babylon. Right. Right. So, I mean, they obviously, you know, connect all those ideas together, but you know, uh, and then I think, I think Baphomet is like the, uh, the child of Babylon and chaos or something, but he's like the server in the line, right? The mystery of mystery or whatever. All right. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, uh, there's a, so yeah, even like, uh, occult satanic groups are very much uh, inspired by all these ideas too so uh, I, I note all that in my book.
2: We have come to the end of the interview it's a good book. Well Alex uh, where can people find out more about uh, your work? I'll have it on the show notes as always but here we are sure. on audio. Go ahead.
1: Yeah they can go to my website called theaoni.com. Uh there's all sorts of stuff on there. Now I know I took down some articles, um, but I'm going to repost them and maybe like an ebook maybe soon. So people have access to that. Uh, But, uh, but I, but there's a lot of uh, audio, there's a lot of video on there. Uh, You can also go to my YouTube channel, which is connected to my website as well. So you can check out some of my videos that I've done. Uh, I know I, I mean, I'm kind of like a, uh, a bedroom DJ, so I do a lot of mixes myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you can find that on my YouTube channel as well. So, even though it's not really gnostic, but or religious, but you know, you can certainly find it there uh, if you're into that sort of thing. So, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a it's a good book. I, I hope people read it. I hope, hope people check it out. I think it will go a long way to you know to enlightening people on the subject because I don't think many people can really. Uh, easily put a tag or a label on on her Sun Lady because she she's many different things, you know. So,
2: yeah, well,
1: agreed. She's uh, the 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 mother goddess of everything. So we have to pay homage to her. Like. I guess.
2: <laughs> yes, I agree with you. We should pay homage to her. We need her more than ever. So, but awesome. Well, audience, I highly recommend The Sun Lady Unveiled. And Alex, has always, uh, truly enjoyed co- having a conversation with you here at AM Byte. And uh, good luck with your book.
1: Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Like, this has uh, been really fun having this conversation with you. And I hope people check the book out and uh, just. You know, just be groovy, you know, <laughs> <laughs>
2: thanks, man. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. Our first part of our interview with Alex Rivera, it's the end of the world. And I hope you feel fine. In our second part, we discuss the connection of Sophia and Mary Magdalene, all in relation to the book of Revelation, of course. Alex shares his views on Lucifer and the Garden of Eden, as well as some incendiary ideas on the myth of Lilith and Samael. He'll give us the true dope on what the beast and 666 really mean. We'll certainly get into some Book of Enoch. Alex also ponders if any of the Book of Revelation is relevant to today's shitshow days. And much, much more. It's all fun and games until someone loses a third eye. And then it's just gnosis. So become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon for the full apocalypse. As well as many other cool bonuses. Just go to Cam God God, or message my ass. Welcome to the age of Hermes, these Gnostic times, and in a Philip K. Dick world. Everything has changed forever in 2020, and going to the end of the beginning is essential for any type of liberation. Please continue to help me grow this red pill cafeteria. We need Gnosis more than ever, and we've only just begun reaching those who need to wake up you won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guess and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. As mentioned in the intro, I'm working on tangible Gnostic rituals and magic for this year to grow this venture and help you out more. In the end, divided we stand, together we rise. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. Your true self. Hello and goodbye as always.